there are a lot of opinions floating around out there about the Chiefs' defensive performance against the Oakland Raiders. And frankly, 99% of them are wrong. Let's talk some Chiefs. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast, the land of 10,000 takes. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan. And you know what? It is a good week to be a Chiefs fan because the Chiefs are 5-2. and two. They've been on a bit of a skid lately, which is unfortunate. Two games in a row they've lost. They still, of course, find themselves with a commanding lead at the top of the AFC West because the Broncos <laughs> got shut out by San Diego, which is just fun to say and has made me feel a lot better about what happened on Thursday night. I owe you all an apology. Normally this comes out on Monday. We're coming out on Tuesday. It's anarchy. I wish I had some great excuse other than I just forgot. Um, but fortunately, that extra time has allowed me to do some extra film review. And so we're actually going to have kind of a, an extra special episode of the, the Chief of the North. A little bit more film review intensive, a little bit more in-depth. Normally what I do is I talk about things in generalities and then I point you towards articles. However, I think we're going to try to go a little more in-depth. And in particular, this is an all-about-the-defense podcast. This is an all-about-the-defense episode. Because that's what everyone wants to talk about, right? The Chiefs defense, which is now completely horrible, will never be good again. I, you know, the sky is falling. Everything's awful. And hey, you know what? It might be. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple weeks. But there's a lot of opinions, like I said in the intro here, floating around about the Chiefs defense. And... I am never content with just listening to narratives and just listening to opinions and saying, oh yeah, that's probably what happened, even if they're narratives that I thought after watching the game the first time. And I'll be honest with you guys, I bought into a lot of the narratives that have been floating around about the defense uh, against the Oakland Raiders. I, I swallowed them all, hook, line, and sinker, because they matched up with what I thought I was seeing when I watched the broadcast. Well, once again, I'm an idiot. And that's the moral of basically all of my stories, is that I'm not a smart man. And so I went back, I rewatched every single defensive snap on all 22, particularly the passing plays. I played, paid extra close attention to them, watched them two or three times, trying to figure out what happened, and more importantly, what wasn't happening. And so I want to talk about a bunch of narratives that are going around right now that I'm going to have to call myths about the Chiefs' defense against the Raiders, particularly the passing defense, because there are a lot of things people are saying that are just flat-out wrong. And, you know, all due respect to you, if you're one of the people that's been propagating these myths, you know, it is what it is. I, I agreed with them. Every myth that I go after here is one that I agreed with after watching the game. And this is why I try not to make judgments about games on broadcast viewing. It's just there's too much emotion, too much ball watching, by me at least. Maybe some of you are capable of, you know, being completely objective while you watch a game live. I am not. And so believe me, when I'm going after these myths, I'm not trying to show you that you're wrong. I'm trying to show you that I was wrong. And I even have you got Twitter evidence of how wrong I was because I was saying some things after the game about what I thought happened that were just incorrect. And so we're going to talk about some of those myths. We're going to talk about three man rushes. We're going to talk about Justin Houston rushing the passer. We're going to talk about, you know, the run defense. We're going to talk about Bob Sutton and whether or not he's to blame for all of this. And we're going to talk about what 
really happened against the Raiders. Um, then I'm hopefully going to be able to get a little time to talk about why I think there's some reason for hope moving forward. Because that's what I do, right? I'm a, I'm a proponent of hope. I'm a glass-half-full guy. And fortunately, this is one of those situations. I've had a few times where I've gone to the film and said, wow, guys, it was worse than it looked. This is one of those times where you go to the film and you say, huh, that looks fixable. And fixable is the name of the game right now. Because, again, the Chiefs are coming off a couple rough performances in a row. The offense bounced back against a bad Oakland defense. But the defense, you know, they, they did all right. as They've done all right as a, a, a pass defense unit this year. And then they just fell apart against the Raiders. And after a game in which they got run all over by Bell against the Steelers, people are getting a little testy about the defense. And by a little testy, I mean I have probably had 300 people at least tweet at me why aren't they firing Bob Sutton? Why haven't they cut Eric Murray yet? Why haven't they done this? Why haven't they done that? People are a little bit upset. I've got people asking me, why do people think Justin Houston's any good? He's not good anymore. He's not getting any pressure. And then other people, why is Houston you know, dropping back into coverage 40 times a game? It's getting a little crazy out there. I am here to be the, the port in the storm, as it were. And so let's talk about reality and then... Let's try to figure out what that reality means moving forward, and I think there might be some reason for hope. Finally, we're going to take some mailbag questions and try to scoot in a little preview of Denver. Let's dive right into it. Um, I want to talk about the first myth that I'm hearing floating around about the Chiefs' defense is that they are constantly going into three-man rushes. Um, so I went back, and one of the things that I tallied while I watched literally every snap multiple times was how many times did the Chiefs really rush three guys. And it was interesting because I asked you guys on Twitter, how many times do you think? And I had people, you know, a lot of people just said, well, too many. Then I had a lot of people say 20. I had some people say 15. I had some people say at least half. I had some people say, you know, seven or eight. Well, here's the deal. I, uh, I counted it down. And at the end of the game, there were six snaps where the Chiefs rushed only three guys. Six. This is out of at least 55 dropbacks, guys. Six snaps. Barely over 10% of the time where the Chiefs rushing three guys and dropping eight into coverage. I need you to understand one thing. The idea that the Chiefs are constantly in layback mode is a myth. An absolute myth. They were rushing four quite a bit of the time. The majority of the time, they rushed five a lot more often than people think. All right, they rushed five more often than they rushed three. The Chiefs were not just in layback mode the whole game. Did they run a very aggressive game plan? No, they didn't, and we'll talk about why in a bit. But this, the, the, it's a myth that the the rushing three guys is what was killing the defense. Because I also tracked the results of those plays, and what you have is a grand total. Let me add this up here real quick. You had three plays where there were incomplete passes, and on the other three plays, you've got a total of 24 yards gained. 24 yards, guys. No touchdowns, nothing like that. None of the Raiders' touchdowns, none of the Raiders' big plays were on plays where the Chiefs dropped three. Or where they dropped three. Where they dropped eight and rushed three. So get that out of your mind. That is not what the issue was. And the next time someone tells you that, you could you get to, you know, this is the reason you listen to me, right? You get to be the well actually guy. Well, actually, the Chiefs only rushed three while dropping eight about six or seven times. Because, hey, I want you to account for error here. I'm only human. Maybe I missed one. 
but you can be the well actually guy. That is not what the problem was. And for the record, on one of those times when they we only rushed three, the Oakland the Raiders were playing five wide, and so the Chiefs really had no choice but to spread out as much as possible. So that is just a complete and total myth. No, the Chiefs were not rushing only three guys the majority of the snaps or even a quarter of the snaps. It was barely over a tenth of the snaps, and none of the Raiders' big plays were on those snaps. It is a myth that the three-man rush is killing the Chiefs' defense, and you, my friends, can help be the people to destroy that myth. Spread the word on Twitter. Spread the word wherever you work. I don't know. Shout it on a mountaintop, I guess. But seriously, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's narratives and false teachings, I guess. I don't know. It's the pastor in me coming out. Or just myths being propagated as though they are truths. False myths, you know, myths, false teachings, whatever you want to call them. False narratives. I can't stand hearing them put forth as truth. Let's, you know, what, what did Gandhi say? We'll fight truth, one truth with truth. The three-man rush is not killing the Chiefs' defense, and it's not what they do the majority of the time, or even close. So there's one myth busted. Second myth. I want to talk about Justin Houston. One other thing that I tracked as I went through was how many times Justin Houston was in coverage instead of rushing the passer. All right, because another myth that you've got, I, I don't know exactly how you'd phrase it, but it's that, oh, Justin Houston, he's he's dropping into coverage half the time, and so it's just, you know, it's going badly because of that. Um, that's just not true, and that's one that I've been responsible for propagating, uh, especially after the Raiders game. Now, let me be clear. I, you know, pro football focus, you might like what they do, you might not like what they do. One thing I like that they do, they do a good job quantifying quantifiable stuff. And you can you can read in their stuff that Justin Houston was dropping into coverage before the Raiders game about 26% of the time. Obviously way too high. I've got no reason to doubt that number because it's looked like too much to me. However, in the Raiders game, again, you had at least 55 dropbacks. Houston was in coverage on 11 plays. All right, one-fifth of the time. So a little lower than his season average. Is that still too much? Yes, yes it is. 20% is too much for a guy with his talent. Um, was it as much as I thought? Nope, not even close. And was this the result of, was this the, the, the problem? You know, were, were the big plays the ones where Justin Houston wasn't rushing the passer? No, it turns out that you've got a grand total. Let me do my math here. You only had one play above 15 yards. And in 11 plays... We've got a total of, let's see, 19, 21, 34, 43, 48 yards. One touchdown that was a two-yard touchdown where they rolled to the opposite side of the field anyway. That was the game winner for for Oakland. So you've got 48 yards, multiple incomplete passes. Uh, you know, five of the five of the plays went for zero yards. You did not have any big plays off of that. So just to be clear, the idea that Justin Houston not rushing being what's killing the team, that's a myth as well. That is not what happened against the Raiders. It was not Justin Houston being in coverage that resulted in some kind of big play. None of their big plays came like that. Just like the three-man rush, that's an absolute myth. Now, there's a secondary myth I want to take on with regards to Justin Houston. I've been hearing, uh, I've been hearing some people gradually more and more um, start to talk about Houston doesn't look as effective, Houston doesn't look as fast, Houston isn't as good, he's, you know, I, I saw the word manhandled thrown around a bunch of times. <sighs> you know, sometimes I get frustrated. But, 
you know, I really thought that Houston didn't have a very effective game either uh, when I just watched the broadcast. And I was pretty curious and a little concerned going into it. I even told one person who, you know, said to me kind of sarcastically, oh, tell me how Houston dominated. I said, well, I don't think he did. Um, I think he struggled. And so you go back and you watch the film and you try to figure out what actually happened and how and why. Well, here, here's the deal. When you go back and actually watch the film with Justin Houston, here's one thing I'll say. I'm not sure if he's quite as fast as he used to be. I think he is when you just really watch him. Um, was He was not dominant against the Raiders at all. But what I found watching him was very different than what I expected to find. When he was rushing the passer there were a bunch of different things that came into play if you actually check my twitter feed which i have no idea who would be listening to this that doesn't follow me on twitter but it's at real mn chiefs fan as in you know real minnesota chiefs fan um you find out you you'll, you'll see multiple gifts there of houston immediately beating the right tackle but he's only able to get a hand on Derek Carr or he's there a fraction of a second too late because Carr releases the ball in 1.5 to 2 seconds. Carr was getting the ball out quick. And this applies to the entire pass rush, not just Justin Houston, okay? Derek Carr, for the most part, was getting the ball out almost instantly against the Chiefs. Now, there were a few plays where that obviously was not the case, and that's what people noticed down the stretch. We have the big play to Amari Cooper. Carr had to move around the pocket a little bit, but he had some time. And so people see big plays like that, and that's the memory they take away from the game. So they think that's what was happening all game. Problem was, it wasn't. Carr was throwing from a clean pocket because he was throwing immediately. And again, check out my Twitter feed. I think I gift three or four plays. And this was not, I didn't have to look hard for them. It's not like I had to search long and hard for plays where Justin Houston immediately beat the right tackle. He did it probably a dozen times during the game or so. It was just a simple fact of the matter was they were getting rid of the ball extremely quickly. So that was one factor in Justin Houston's relatively quiet game. Another factor was that he saw some double teams, you know, especially in the rare three-man rushes that actually existed. He saw some double teams, and he also saw a ton of chip action from tight ends and running backs. The Raiders were terrified of Justin Houston. It was not common that he was left alone on an island. The times when he was, you see Oakland scheme for it with various play-action looks and, and similar things to get Houston starting off in run defense mode rather than pass rushing mode. The great thing about good play-action for a passing team is that they can create the appearance of a run, which obviously a defender plays differently than he does the pass. He doesn't start to rush. He gets back on his heels a little bit and gets ready to defend the run. And that's all a decent blocker needs. And Oakland has some decent blockers. Even that right tackle, he didn't acquit himself too badly. Although when he was alone against Justin Houston, he lost more than he won. But that's not something you saw on the stats sheet, so everyone ignored it. Um, but that wasn't it. They had they had multiple plays where they performed cut blocks with quick passes. Um, that it was just it was an interesting game from Houston's perspective. He also played contain on four or five snaps in the second half, where he was clearly not rushing to rush. He was playing for contain. Or, on a few more snaps, you probably get to yourself to you know eight or nine now if you combine the two, there were snaps where Houston was starting to recognize how quickly they were throwing the ball. And so, rather than rush Carr, because it's a futile effort if he's getting rid of it in one and a half seconds anyway, Houston would begin to rush and then back off from his rush, seeking to knock the ball down or get into a throwing lane. 
The fact of the and he oh he came so close on a couple. It was it was extremely frustrating. Um, but the fact of the matter is Justin Houston actually played a an okay game. He wasn't a it wasn't a dominant game. It wasn't the best game I've ever seen from Justin Houston. Um, but he was winning. He was doing his job. The Raiders were specifically scheming to try to not get beat by Justin Houston, and they managed to do it. Um, if you if there had been a better game from the coverage, Justin Houston walks out of there with two or three sacks. There were multiple plays. Even if you, again, just look at the gifts that I've I've got up on Twitter. Those are plays where if Carr has to move off of his first read. He really, odds are, gets sacked. The problem is, the secondary kept breaking down. So I'm glad we could bust a couple of Justin Houston myths. The the myth that he's you know never rushing that's just wrong. The myth that he isn't getting pressure. He was getting manhandled. Just wrong. Watch the tape. See what happens. See the context and see all the things that were going on there. I'm a lot less worried about Justin Houston than I was going into this, which is a good feeling. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some myths about Bob Sutton, the Chiefs defensive coordinator. And those ones might be the ones that are bugging me the most at this point. So we'll have some fun with that. And we'll do that right after this. All right. We're myth busting. Let's talk about Bob Sutton. Um, the number of people, like I said at the top of the podcast, that have told me they want to see Bob Sutton fired is <laughs> a lot. Um, the reasons are varied. You know, he the the well, he's only rushing three guys. Well, we've already busted that myth. Well, he's always sending Houston into coverage. Well, we've already busted that myth. Um, even though he should not be sending him as much as he is, believe me, you. Um, you know, these there are these myths about Bob Sutton. You know, oh, he doesn't adjust. He didn't do anything different. Um, you know, he he's not he's setting the players up in a position to fail. I just hear a lot of stuff about why it's Bob Sutton's fault. And so what I decided to do, I went back and I watched every play that uh, the Raiders had as as far as pass defense goes that would qualify as a, as a as a fairly big play, you know, over over 10 11 yards. And you know, I'll just give you I'm I'm looking at my list here, right? Because when you do stuff like this, you can't just rely on your memory. You got to chart things and tally things as you go. But I mean, you know, for example, uh you know, Cook, 24-yard gain. Well, that was a uh, this was a pass play that the Raiders ran. They ran Cook across the field from left to right, uh, and DJ had an opportunity to hit Cook. He was in perfect position to do so as he was coming off the line of scrimmage, but DJ missed him, and instead, as he was running across the field, DJ whiffed on him and he hit Eric Murray, who was in coverage on Cook. And because he hit Murray, it slowed him way down. Cook ended up wide open. That is a 24-yard gain right there. That was an execution issue, not a scheme issue. That's not on Bob Sutton. And, you know, yes, it's the it's the defensive coordinator's job to put players in a position to succeed, but it's not like they've never been coached. Hey, don't run into each other. That was a failure of execution by Derek Johnson, who I love to death, but that one was on him. I mean, a few other examples, you know, um, the, the Amari Cooper 38-yard touchdown right? That first touchdown. You can call that a few different things, but Sutton had the right call in place. He had him in man coverage. He had safety help over the top. The safety help got sucked in too much because of the flea flicker and was late coming over the top. And Mitchell, though he played it well, he, uh, one of two things happened. Either Mitchell played the ball horribly and fell down, 
or he was tripped and then pushed to the ground by Amari Cooper and it wasn't called. Either way, that's an execution issue, not a scheme issue. There were there was help put in place. The help didn't get there in time. There was a corner put in the right spot to make the play. He didn't make the play. Similar thing with Cooper's 45-yard touchdown. You notice when you include the three plays here that I'm just starting off with, you're talking over 100 yards of offense and two touchdowns. Uh, The Cooper touchdown where he was running left to right across the field, uh, Eric Murray just didn't pick him up. He went into Murray's zone. Murray didn't pick him up. And suddenly you got Cooper wide open. And then even once Cooper got the ball, Murray took a bad angle and it was over. That is an execution failure. That is not a defensive scheme failure. The players were put in position to make the play, and they didn't. And so now you're talking, you know, people say, oh, they allowed over 400 yards to Derek Carr. He allowed four touchdowns, you know, all this stuff. Um, we just dealt with two of Carr's passing touchdowns and over 100 yards, and not one of those was a scheme issue. And as you go down the list, and I, I, could, I could do this. I've, I've got 13, 14 plays listed in front of me here. But you just see, I mean, you've got a 10-yard gain. It was a missed tackle. should have been zero. Um, you've got a, a 15-yard gain that was a that was a five-man rush, but there was an instant throw. So, no, this wasn't some three-man rush. But it was an instant throw, and gains just got cooked by Cooper. And so, again, execution failure after execution failure after execution failure. Really, the, you know, or, you know, the, the real backbreaker in that game, there were two of them on that last drive. The 39-yard pass down the middle of the field to Amari Cooper. That was the big one, right? That's what gave Oakland an actual realistic shot at coming back in this game. Well, if you really watch the All-22, and that plays gift on Twitter as well, you can take a look at the All-22 there. They had Sorensen back there to help bracket Cooper, and they had Mitchell there in man coverage. They had him essentially doubled, as close as you're going to see to it, but both of them got beat. Sorensen in particular made an atrocious play. He got his hips flipped, even though he didn't need to. And hey, Cooper just ran a good route and Carr made a good throw. But they put them in position to stop what the Raiders want to do. It was actually a good call by Sutton. He put two guys in position to stop what the Raiders were trying to do. The players just failed. And that's what happens, unfortunately, when you've got guys in there that maybe are being asked to swing out of their weight class. And what can Bob Sutton do? He cannot make Eric Berry's Achilles healthy again. He's just got to train up his guys as well as he can. And you know what? Danny Sorensen has succeeded in that position before. I think he got a little exposed as a deep safety against the Raiders. But he's succeeded as a deep safety before. He's got decent closing speed and he's shown some good instincts. This particular game, though, he was just swinging out of his weight class. And it was obvious. Because Amari Cooper, he's a stud of a route runner. He's got boards for hands at times, but he's a great route runner, and he showed it again against the Chiefs, unfortunately. And so now, what are we up to, 150 yards? None of which are schematic. These are not schematic failures. These are execution failures. That Cook 29-yard gain down the field, that brought him right to the goal line and really should have been called at the one immediately, and the clock should have kept running. It would have been a whole deal, but whatever. I'm not bitter at all. Once again, not a scheme failure. There were three defenders in the vicinity of the ball when it got thrown. A deep safety was assigned to that vicinity. The corners were there. They just lost a jump ball. Losing a jump ball is not a schematic failure. It's an execution failure. And now we're nearly up to, what, 180 yards of cars, 400? And we're not talking about anything resembling 
schematic failures. These are execution failures. And again, I've got a bunch of, you know, you know, 17-yard, 15-yard, 13-yard games. The vast majority of them, guys, these were execution failures. This is not on Bob Sutton. Bob Sutton's scheme is what it's always been. Um, and by that, I don't mean, oh, he's, he's not flexible at all. He's not changing anything that he does. No, that's not what I mean at all. What I mean is that Bob Sutton continues to employ what works. He continues to put the guys in positions to make plays. The problem is the guys aren't making plays, and they need to. And these, aren't, these are guys who have made plays in the past, right, outside of Eric Murray. And he struggled. He's actually played pretty well so far this season. He just had a real bad game in a real bad matchup for him. And so Sutton, he did a lot of different things. There were a lot of different looks. If you go back and watch the film, he had Houston rushing from the inside and the outside. He flipped him and D Ford on the side of the field. They did run some stunts involving the defensive linemen. Not as many as I'd like, but honestly, the ones they ran, they didn't look that good at them. So I don't know what to tell you there. Um, we've already busted the myth about the three-man rush and having Houston in coverage constantly. He he sent some pressure. Now, it wasn't a ton, but when you look at Carr's stats against the Blitz, he eviscerated the Blitz against the Chiefs, and like I said, he was getting rid of the ball in under two seconds. Blitzing against that is rarely a good idea, and that is not how the Chiefs have beat the Raiders in the past. The way they've beaten him in the past is to get some pressure on him, yes, with four-man and three-man fronts, and then throw confusing coverages in his face and make him make mistakes. And the difference was this time the Chiefs lost some jump balls. They've won those in the past, and they didn't this time. That's really what the big difference was in this game. That and Carr played better than he's played against the Chiefs. He threw the ball more accurately. He moved around the pocket better than he has been. And so he just played a really, really, really good game. I had one Raiders fan who follows me tell me that it was maybe the best game he's ever seen Carr play. And you know what? Great quarterback play will usually beat defensive play, unless it's exceptional defensive play. And that was some of the time with Derek Carr. But again, Bob Sutton, he mixed up the fronts. He didn't mix up the coverages a ton. There was a lot of man there, which is what they do as a team. It's what they've always done. And so you can argue, well, they should have switched up to more zone. Um, a lot of their biggest failures were in zone. You know, the, the the second Cooper touchdown was a huge zone failure. I don't think that's the solution. When you go back and you watch the All-22, what you see repeatedly are failures of execution. And so this whole fire Bob Sutton thing, he has coached some very good defenses in Kansas City over the last few years. And to me, that earned him a bit the benefit of the doubt. I don't think the man's forgotten how to coach. Now, what counter-argument that people will say was, well, if they keep failing in execution, that means he he you know needs to put him in better position to succeed. My counter to that is, doing what? Because here's what I would ask you. Do, are these guys who have been taught and have been shown and should know how to execute basic defensive assignments like, you know, man coverage? Yes. What is Bob Sutton supposed to do when maybe, say, Gaines is getting torched in man coverage so he switches to zone and then Eric Murray blows a huge coverage and gives up a 49-yard touchdown to Cooper? What should he do? In that situation, there's really no great answer for him. All he can do is keep dialing stuff up to put players in the position to succeed, and that's what he did. There was nothing he was asking the players to do that they haven't done previously. There's nothing he asked Danny Sorensen to do that he hasn't done previously, or any other player out there, including Eric Murray, who's had multiple other successful games with the Chiefs. 
he just got out muscled by Cook constantly. And so this fire Sutton thing, I can't say I can get on board with that. It just doesn't match up with what I saw on the field. They were execution failures, and I think they were by and large fixable. It was an uncharacteristically sloppy game in the, in a secondary that has by and large played very well this season. So we'll see whether or not there's some kind of pattern there. If Trevor Simeon dices the Chiefs up, well... We'll talk about that, but for right now, these are fixable mistakes in failures and execution that I think the Chiefs can button down, especially if they get Steven Nelson back to provide a little more stability at the corner position. He's not a world beater, but he's solid, and solid can be a big difference maker at the number two and number three corner position. And so what really happened? You know, and I don't want to take too much time for this because I've still got a lot of ground that I'd like to cover. But what really happened is the Raiders took advantage of some defensive execution breakdowns. That was it. And then also, the Raiders just made some good plays. They made some good throws, some good catches, some stuff that's not always repeatable. That's, that is it. That really was the long and short of it. It wasn't some huge schematic thing that the Raiders took advantage of. It wasn't even them trying to imitate Pittsburgh, which they did early. It didn't work out very well for them. It was just a matter of some defensive breakdowns. And then, and I'm not going to get into this more than about 30 seconds, um, there was some incredibly poor officiating. Now, there were some bad calls on both ends. You know, talk to who you want to talk to. You know, talk to a Raiders fan. They'll probably say the Chiefs got more good calls or whatever. Um, but there were a ton of push-offs that weren't called, a lot of offensive pass interference that wasn't called, and some really just utterly horrible calls, none worse than Eric Murray getting called for an illegal contact when he hadn't traveled three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. He, and, I mean, and of course, it erased a fumble. It was just one of, it was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. And that was the way the night went. And so when you have some defensive breakdowns and poor officiating that aids the offense at some pretty crucial times, you're going to run into some bad moments. Um, Additionally, it was a rough outing for Eric Murray. There were some rough plays by Danny Sorensen, some rough plays by Gaines, some rough gains by Mitchell. Very few players' hands were clean. You know, Marcus Peters had a really bad pass interference penalty that ended up giving Oakland the ball near the goal line that ended in a touchdown. It was just, a, but a really rough outing, especially for Eric Murray. Um, I can tell you this with 100% certainty. You swap out Murray for Eric Berry in that game, the Chiefs win. They just do. Um, I think Murray's doing the best he can. I think he had his first really bad game, and we'll see how the kid bounces back. I think he'll do well. I think Cook was a bad matchup for him. He's not quite as big and strong as Barry is, just not quite as physical, and he just seemed out-muscled a lot of the game. The rest were calling it real loose, and that made it tough for him. So I look to see, you know, these are all guys that we've seen play well before. Philip Gaines, you know, I think they need Nelson back. Gaines is struggling. Uh, he just can't handle Amari Cooper. He's getting picked on in the slot. Um, I hope he bounces back, but he's struggling right now, and they need to get Nelson back as soon as possible. I think you plug in Nelson there, and you have him on the field with Mitchell, and you have him on the field with Peters. And, you know, Mitchell's had some ups and downs this season, but overall has done an okay job for a guy that gets thrown at a ton because teams don't throw at Marcus Peters as much. Um, he's done all right. But, you know, Peters and Nelson Mitchell, that's a lot more palatable than what they're currently seeing out there. So keep an eye out for that, the execution failures. And next time someone tries telling you it's just Bob Sutton, talk to them about, you know, what about the fact that, like, all of Oakland's big plays were execution failures? Again, you can be the well-actually guy. You're welcome. Well, actually, a lot of their big plays were execution failures. What do you say to that? Real quick before we run into a break, um, 
Actually, you know what? We're going to take a break first, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk to you about some reasons for hope moving forward with the defense. Because who doesn't like to talk about hope? All right. Let's talk about hope. Because everyone loves it, right? Reasons that we can think that maybe things will be all right moving forward. Um, we, uh, we've already talked a little bit about the myth of the three-man rush. I want to talk about the myth of the pass rush. And again, we touched on this a little bit. The Chiefs were actually generating some rush against the Raiders. The problem is the Raiders were getting the ball out incredibly quickly. And I think if you'll look, you'll find a lot of teams play the Chiefs like this because everyone knows Justin Houston's there. Everyone knows Chris Jones is there. I was afraid I would go back and watch the film and see a bunch of defensive linemen getting stonewalled at the line of scrimmage. That's not what was happening. Um, you know, they were actually being pretty active against a very good offensive line. Um, they weren't dominant, but they weren't dominated either. Oakland just had a game plan that that called for very quick releases, some good play action stuff, and just generally things to keep a pass rush off balance, and they were able to do that. Good for them, but it's the kind of game where you, the secondary needed to step up and force Oakland to go away from this, get rid of the ball in two seconds stuff. And you saw that on some plays where the secondary really pounced on them because it was so clear where the ball was going because they had to get it out quickly. Um, but the secondary, by and large, was breaking down too quickly for the pass rush to get there. And so I don't, you know, Pittsburgh dominated the Chiefs' pass rush quite a bit, although they were still able to play well against the pass. I don't really buy the theory that the Chiefs' pass rush is just finished. Now, again, we'll see against the Broncos. We'll see how things go. Um, I'm always willing to look at new information, but watching the film with the Raiders, it wasn't a team that just got dominated. It was a good game plan by the Raiders to get the ball out quickly and take the pass rush out of the equation. Um, another thing to maybe uh, another thing to maybe look at and maybe have some hope: the run defense. Raiders only ran the ball 20 times. You know, when Marshawn Lynch got ejected early, he'd only run the ball twice, I think, for nine yards total. Um, the run defense, though, if you exclude one 15-yard scrambled by Carr, which obviously isn't a run defense snap, it's a pass defense snap, uh, the run defense actually acquitted itself very well. It only aver- only allowed 3.65 yards per carry. There were multiple stuffs by Benny Logan, Alan Bailey, DJ had one in the backfield, Justin Houston had one in the backfield. They actually played decently against the run, even in their nickel set, which was a big deal. They needed to shore that up, and it looks like it got addressed. So I'll be curious to see that heading forward um, because, you know, you got the Broncos and C.J. Anderson and Jamal Charles coming to town. Hopefully they can continue to be strong against the run. That's a big deal after what happened a few weeks for multiple weeks in a row prior, them looking strong against the run. They We have seen this Chiefs team be good against the pass for years now. I really doubt they just suddenly became terrible. Now, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but they seem to have the pieces in place, and when you see what kind of executional failures they had, I think those are things that are fixable. And then seeing the run defense come around, well... That would just be the cherry on top if the run defense could actually play well. All right, let's get into some mailbag questions. I asked you guys to give me some mailbag questions um, for the defense. A lot of the stuff has been answered, um, and so I'll run through it and maybe reference back to other stuff we've said, but we'll go through them all the same, and we'll speed rush through so we can talk about Denver for a minute. Uh, Harvey Mahomes asked, are the current walls fixable, or are we... um, Hosed is how I'll read it because you know me. I can't speak in certain ways. I got to think of the children. Um, like I've been saying, they are not hosed. I don't think. Now, again, we'll see what happens against a really bad Denver offense. But the the things that I saw 
they're not schematic. There's not some deeper issue here. There were some execution issues, and I think with a little bit of tinkering, they can get guys playing to their strengths, and they can get guys in a bit more of a position to succeed, and I think they'll be fine. Do I think they'll be a great defense? I don't know. I, I this, My opinion of the ceiling of this defense has definitely changed, seen how they played without Barry. Um, but I think they can do a lot better than what they've done. Uh, Mr. C. David... Uh, Shout out to the man who gave me Chiefs tickets this year and was just the greatest host uh, as I was in Kansas City. Great guy, my buddy Charlie. He asked me, what Chiefs narrative are you the most sick of? Um, I think of all of them, I think the one that I'm the most sick of right now are some of the myths surrounding Bob Sutton, the stuff that we just got done talking about. It's just because that's kind of an all-encompassing thing. You know, the myths about the three-man rush, the myths about Houston. It just... People tend to say something that sounds correct without really taking the time to find out is it really true. Oh well, there's a there's a you know there's a scheme issue. Sutton's not doing his job. Well, that's easy to say, but you got to really look. And it, it is frustrating to me that people are willing to throw a guy who's done a decent job under the bus after a couple of rough games. Um. Uh, Chiefs Miguel asked, did Sutton do something differently against Oakland Thursday night rather than previous years, or was it simply missed assignments and no pass rush? We already talked about the pass rush issue. It was missed assignments in the secondary, by and large. Missed assignments, blown coverages, execution failures. Um, uh, Ryan Petri, sorry if I blew your name there, buddy. How successful is Houston when he drops into coverage? Is he successful enough to warrant the continuous dropbacks? Well, we've we've addressed it that they aren't continuous dropbacks. It was about a fifth of the time against Oakland. Um, by and large, Houston does pretty well in coverage. He 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 manages to cover a pretty wide zone because he's a big guy. He moves pretty well, and he's able to clog up throwing lanes. He does a pretty good job with that. Me personally, I'd rush him more often though. Um, Kia <laughs> Abadat? Sorry, man. I Some of these I'm just going to just destroy. How much of the bad defense defense play has to do with short week and traveling? I think that's a lot of it. I have had multiple people point out to me since the game ended that the Chiefs were playing... I mean, it was something crazy like four games in 18 days. That can't be right, but it was something similar to that. And I do think that you end up... I think they were shot. I really do. I think you start to see some signs of wear and tear. There was really no time to adjust between the Pittsburgh game and the Raiders game. I just think you see a team that's played that played a lot of football lately. That little miniature buy came at a great time. Um, we uh, I got a couple questions here in a row that we've already answered regarding rushing three, dropping eight, and uh, the Justin Houston myths. Uh, Brandon Elliott asks, can you explain why our D looks to give everyone at least five yards of cushion? Is that part of the scheme or failure at execution? Well, I will say that um, where corners are lining up is bound to be part of the scheme. And this is one thing, you know, people might say I'm like this Bob Sutton apologist. One thing that drives me crazy is the lack of genuine jams in the Chiefs defense. Terrence Mitchell and Marcus Peters are both very good at being physical at the line of scrimmage. And they're really not allowed to very often. And you see more cushion than you'd like. Marcus Peters, I think, is kind of allowed to do his thing. He likes to play with cushion because he tries to bait the quarterbacks into throws. However, sometimes that results in easy first downs, like, you know, on third and three when he was backed off 10 yards off Crabtree. Crabtree had the easiest first down I've ever seen. Um, I think it's generally schematic. 
and I hope Sutton gets a little more aggressive in that area, especially with the pass rush um, needing teams to not throw in two seconds. Um, one great way would be successful jams and then flooding shallow zones with your with your safeties and your linebackers to hopefully create a situation where the pressure gets there before anyone can get open. Um, Travis Hudson asked a few questions about uh, Houston, and uh, we've we've covered a lot of those. I think Houston's fine. He might have a little bit of a nagging injury that's slowing him down a bit, but he looked fine when you really watch him on film. Uh, continuing to go down here, uh, Joseph Hero asked, why is our pass rush not getting there? What is the impact of Nelson's return? We talked about the pass rush. Um, Nelson's return, I really do think, could be a big deal. He's competent. And if you can add competent, and all due respect to Gaines, but he hasn't been competent, that gives one less weak spot for teams to pick at and try to throw at quickly. He's also a guy who plays with a lot of fire, and I think the defense could use that right now. Uh, I'm going to take a look at a few more here. Um... A lot of these, again, you know, if, if I skip your question, it's because I think that uh, we, I think that we, I think that we've covered it, right? Um, Tucker Beck says, the defensive line feels extremely underwhelming. Any reasons that you can see? Um, you know, for the most part, it has looked a little, it hasn't looked as good as I'd hoped it would be. Um, I can't see any specific reason, to be honest. Guys just aren't playing as dominant as I would have hoped. I was hoping Chris Jones would take a big step forward, and he's been good again, but he hasn't been great. Um, Benny Logan, by and large, has been good. Uh, he had some really great run stops. He's providing a little push up the middle, not as much as you'd like, but a little. Um, but they just haven't been great, and they haven't been consistent. Um, they they just they they'll go through swaths where the entire line just seems to disappear. Um, Turner Davis asks, what are you seeing on film that would point to the defense being so bad in the nickel? What I've seen are execution breakdowns. You know, they, they allow a huge number of yards per play, but a lot of that was affected very drastically um, by a couple of just big fluke plays and blown coverages. And so I don't think it's something that's schematic. I think it's, again, something that can be fixed up with a little bit of <laughs> just a little bit of time. The defense needs to come together. If you need to see proof of something like that, you look at Belichick's defense now as opposed to what the Chiefs faced in week one. Sometimes it just takes a little while for things to come together. Um, Mike, and let's see what time, how much time we have left. Not much, so I'm, this is probably the last one that I'm going to take. Uh, Mike3183 at gmail.com. And I know this guy, uh, Mike, I remember you saying that you only started Twitter so you could follow me. Um, what are the top five reasons to have faith in the Chiefs for the rest of the season after two-week performances? Um, here's what I'll say. You know, before the season, Pittsburgh and Oakland were considered Super Bowl contenders, were they not? These are talented teams. Um, and both of them, real close losses, unfortunately. Both of them, one or two plays goes the other way, the Chiefs win. Here's what I would say. Alex Smith is one reason. He's playing by far the best football of his career. Kareem Hunt's another reason. Uh, he's just a borderline MVP candidate still. The fact of the matter is the, the offense has been so impressive. The fact that the defense has come together and played well in the past without Eric Berry, I think they can do it again. Um, there is a lot of talent on this team, and they've got a few guys coming back from injury. Keep in mind their two best linemen have not been playing for weeks, and the, game, they, the offense has still done well. Getting Morse and LDT back in the game and maybe Iinger at some point is going to be such a big deal. 
Um, you know what? I will take one more. I got a question from RJ and then from Mr. SW. They both asked about Chris Jones. I mean, is he getting shut down one-on-one? What ha- what's happened? Um, Chris Jones, he, he's still running hot and cold. His hot snaps are awesome. And he still looks dominant at times. Um, but he's still inconsistent, which is unfortunate. Um, and so you're just not seeing the impact that I wish you'd see from him. Still a very good defensive lineman. Would still start and play most of the snaps on pretty much every team in the NFL. But he's just not quite what I was hoping he would be. All right. I'm sorry if I missed your mailbag questions. But we got to roll through this because, I mean, y'all got lives. Um I just want to talk about the Denver game real quick. Denver just got, <laughs> I'm going to giggle again, they just got shut out by San Diego. It was glorious. Now, San Diego's got a good defense, and they're playing well right now. Um, Denver is an interesting opportunity for the Chiefs because right now, people, despite everything, are leery about the offense. And I can understand why. We've had a few years of mediocrity there, and so it, like all of a sudden, you know, scoring all these points and all this stuff, it's like, oh, is this really, you know, a lot of people after the... Steelers game, we're like, yep, the offense got exposed, it's a paper tiger, yada, yada, yada. Um, Denver still has one of the best two or three defenses in the league. And uh, they they are they are just a tough, tough, tough matchup. A great pass rush. It's going to be tough, especially if LDT and Morse can't go. So that'll be a good test for the the offense. And what's great about playing the the Broncos is this is a chance for the defense to reset and say, okay, this is a genuinely bad Denver offense that people thought was going to be good early in the year. And I'll, I'll never, I mean, if you look through the first few games of the year, I mean, I remember, you know, people were telling me uh, that, you know, Trevor Simeon was, you know, he was just the truth. I mean, he was, he was going to, he was going to take him somewhere. And it's just hilarious to me because everyone knew the, dire- the direction that was going to go, barring some kind of unbelievable improvement by him. But I mean, I had people telling me, oh yeah, especially after that win against Dallas, right? They won, they beat Dallas 42 to 17. So keep in mind, Denver's not a bad team. They've had a couple bad losses in a row, but they are not a bad team. But I had people telling me that Simeon was the truth and all this. Let's face it, they're not a they're not a they're not a good football team, at least on offense. So this is an opportunity for the Chiefs to face an offense that everyone knows is not good. And if they're able to play well against them, okay, now we're resetting. They should be able to play well against this offense. And if they can't then maybe it's time to start hitting the panic button. So this game gives us an opportunity to answer a few questions about the offense and the defense. Is the offense legit? They've played some really good defenses already this year in Philadelphia and in Washington and Houston. I mean, they've they've played multiple good defenses already. Uh, They played the Chargers. They've passed every test. Now this will be another one, another hurdle to climb. If they can play well, great. Um... Then again, the defense has a chance to get on track here. If they struggle against that Denver offense, well, then maybe it's time that we revisit this whole issue because maybe that means these execution issues that I think can be fixed really can't. And that, of course, would be a dark, dark thing. <laughs> and that would mean some real, some real trouble for the team, at least for as far as making a playoff run. Of course, the final thing about facing the Broncos is that means Jamal Charles is coming to town. I just want to take a second to say I understand he's coming back as a Bronco. I understand he said a couple of things that irritated a lot of people when he joined the Broncos, which, remember, only happened because the Chiefs cut him. And what are you going to do? 
You know, if the Chiefs, I think if the Chiefs had thought that he would stay healthy this far in the season and be able to be like a change of pace back, taking, you know, eight to ten touches a game, I think they would have kept him around. They didn't. I wish they had, but they didn't. I would just say, I would urge anyone who's going to be at Arrowhead on Monday to cheer Jamal Charles when he comes out. Because Jamal gave some of the greatest Chiefs memories that any of us will ever have. And he made some of the greatest plays, some of the greatest football plays that you have ever seen and that I have ever seen. Um, I hope Jamal Charles goes to the Hall of Fame. I hope he stays healthy this year and doesn't impact their win-loss record at all, but keeps his yard per carry average up because that's his best shot at the Hall of Fame is to have another year or two racking up meaningless stats because, you know, they care about those total yards and stuff. Um, I hope he does that because I want to see that guy go to the Hall of Fame. He is one of the greatest football players that I've ever seen. And so I would just say, you know, welcome him back because one day that man's going to be in the ring of honor and we all know it. And one day we're all going to be cheering for him in that moment. So you might as well treat him like a friend coming home, even though he's wearing those stupid, stupid orange uniforms. Well, that's all I've got for you. Thanks for joining me for a special edition of the Chief in the North, the land of 10,000 takes. I really look forward to seeing how the Chiefs do. Next week, again, we won't be um, airing on Monday because obviously the game is on Monday night. So we'll be airing either on Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, maybe Wednesday to give me a little more time to break down film. And so I'm just excited for that. This is a chance for the Chiefs to get back on track. I hope you've had fun dispelling myths with me, as much fun as I've had doing it at least. Uh, As always, however you're listening to this, if you could subscribe and rate and review and all that stuff, it really does help out. It really does make a difference. I appreciate that you guys are willing to listen to me ramble at all, and I will talk to you guys next week.